We welcome you all. I'm going to use the time to get advantage, even though some may not be here, until 9 o'clock. We'll get started a little early. We always have more we want to say than we have time to say. And so um, it's great to be able to start just a moment early. So why don't we uh, just bow for prayer, asking the Lord to... Uh, very wonderfully bless the whole sessions, all the sessions this morning. Oh, our wonderful Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that you're on the throne of glory, sovereign, omnipotent, all-knowing. Thank you that there are no challengers to the mightiness of Jehovah. We thank you that your son, as one of us, triumphed totally over darkness. And we abide in him today, clothe ourselves with his name, with all of his finished work, with his present high priestly overseeing, his lordship, the hope of his coming. We yield ourselves afresh to the Holy Spirit and to all that he would do to give us spiritual hearing and spiritual seeing. Thank you, loving Heavenly Father, for the privilege of asking that you would sovereignly protect every session this morning. Be with uh, these precious German brothers who've come all the way from Germany just to be here with others who believe as they do and who are sharing out of their rich experience at this very time. Pour out your spirit upon them. May Horst and Thomas have that ability to work together in the translation so that um, your name will be glorified. Thank you for the mission session. Thank you, loving Heavenly Father, for the youth session. And then for this focus upon families and children. Help Jim and me to be able to harmonize together in a very beautiful way. It will be beneficial to um, all of these who are concerned about their own families and who are teaching Christian parents, so bless and sanctify this time in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, let's uh, get right underway. If you have your notebook, you'll notice that we have a section that is set apart for uh, this. It's on page 77. <clears throat> Jim Logan will be coming in at um, about 9.30. And uh, I want you to have full advantage of his tremendous abilities and gifts. So we'll let him share with you that last half hour. So I'm sort of starting a little early here so we can get as much time as possible. You'll notice that um, we begin with the awareness of the great, great problem 
that uh, we're facing in dealing with demonization influences and activities through demonized people, through demonized programs in a demonized culture. I do not believe there's any way to rear children in a culture like this, but what you make spiritual warfare is a way of life where you're watching over your children and your grandchildren. It was my joy to watch over our children for most of the years that they were growing up with spiritual warfare understanding. Although when they were very young, uh, I was as much in the dark about the subject as many pastors are today. And the Lord miraculously thrust me into this ministry. I'm not going to share my testimony on that. At this moment, it's written in, I think, two of my books, how the Lord just literally uh, thrust me into spiritual warfare study. But uh, I would say that after God began to teach me the importance of it, that it became the very cornerstone of our family prayer life, of our intercession for our children and our watchfulness over them. And uh, unbeknown to me, when our two of our daughters were very young, they had been exposed to subtle, demonic, satanic deception, which brought very serious problems into both of their lives. So... We know firsthand, and I'm sure God was sovereign in giving us that experience just so that we would understand how treacherous and dangerous it is not to be watching over our children, especially in a spiritistic time such as this. I'm working on a manuscript, about half through with it, on ministering to children in a spiritistic culture. I think it's going to be a very important work. Jim is also working on a book with a writer from Moody Bible Institute who is going to help him put together some of that storehouse of knowledge that God has put in him through his experience and through his study of the scripture. Both of these, we hope, will be very, very helpful to Christian parents in this matter of rearing children. So I hope you'll pray for us. I hoped uh, last summer to be able to finish my manuscript, but instead, uh, the Lord seemed to delay it, and I'm kind of glad he did, because now I have some additional things that I know the Lord wants me to put in that. And so this summer, August and September, I plan to... Uh, shut myself away again, and uh, hopefully finish that manuscript. So I would solicit your prayers and ask you to uh, remember that before the Lord. Now, um, uh, spiritual warfare is really very simple. I think sometimes we have an idea that it's very, very complicated. But actually, it's, it's simple. And I hope that uh, as we talk about it today, 
in this outline that you have before you that uh, you will see that. I mean, common sense ought to tell us this. And I'm embarrassed to have to tell you that the very first point I did not do, even though I was a pastor. And um, two of my daughters were wounded because I didn't do it. We really need to think in terms of um, proper training of our children. You'll notice under careful spiritual teaching and protective care that we suggest so important to take a passage like that one in Deuteronomy 18 and sit down with your children. Just turn to it for a moment. It's... um, one of the clearest warnings in Scripture about the utter folly of dabbling in anything occult. Whenever you stray into the enemy's territory, he takes the ground that you give him and he tries to use it against you. And so it's good to sit down and just uh, go through this text. Verse 9, when you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not learn to imitate the detestable ways. And I think it's very good to just talk about that. What's detestable to God? And um, try to mention that we want to please the Lord and not to do what is detestable to Him. This was the very thing that caused the nations to come to the place of judgment. Finally, the cup got full. God delayed it for a long time. But finally, it filled up. And you all know what happened. As God sent the nation back into Canaan, how that he commanded them to just devastate, totally destroy every living person In Jericho, for example. There's no way to explain that. Except that the culture was just totally demonized. Little children. When you live in a demonized culture. Little children become demonized. By the wickedness of their parents. Generational transfer. And God just let the judgment fall. In order to. Uh, protect his own people from it. Let no one be found among you who sacrifices his son and daughter in the fire. Now you might think that's strange that uh, God spoke about that first uh, through his servant Moses. But I think it's a good opportunity to say to your children, you know, this is where all of this kind of wickedness leads. It gets so bad that parents caught up in it actually think that they have to please the kingdom of darkness by offering their little children in sacrifices. That's very sobering to a child. And it makes them begin to understand where the ways of wickedness are are heading. And uh, then he goes on, who practice divination. You can even talk about such. I use the illustration of my own experience of having a well-witching transferred to me. 
by another man who did that. And he laid his hands as we walked. First, it didn't work for me. And then he put his hands on mine and I was holding on to the rod. And when we got to the place where it had gone down for him, well, that thing just dropped and I couldn't hold it for anything. And the, mer- the wonder of it is that even though I had no feeling of any sort of spirit transfer, that after he did that, I could do it myself. How quickly spiritistic gifts transfer from one to another. Sorcery, turpits omens, engages in witchcraft. I'm not going to explain all these because it take too long. But uh, you ought to, as you sit down with your children, be able to tell them in their understanding what these things are. Because their friends are doing this. That's what they're up to in our culture today. And they need to understand it. Cast spells. Or who is a medium, a channeler, or a spiritist, or who consults the dead. I just think if I'd have warned my youngest daughter, Judy, about that. She was at a slumber party where some of her friends said, let's have a seance and let's get in trouble with or get in contact with someone who's died. Does anybody know someone who died? Well, Judy knew her grandparents. And she said, okay. And uh, in the seance, there was an appearance very frightening to her. Of course, that all had to be renounced. I didn't even know this when I wrote my first book. You see, it was too too scary to her to even tell me at that time. Even though she'd gone through some very serious problems. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. That's pretty strong, friends. And uh, it's wonderful to warn your children. That's your responsibility. We need to communicate this uh, to our children, how it opens lives to demonization. And I think it's perfectly legitimate to turn to passages like we've suggested here. What does that mean? Where is that leading? Even read about the man at Gadara. Explain to them that's the very worst that appears in Scripture, but that's what it is. So uh, you can do this without frightening them. If you're just calmly talking to them and sharing with them, you don't have to be afraid of truth. <laughs> just share it with them boldly. And then you can point out that it brings God's judgment on whole cultures and whole nations so that, that God had uh, the nation of judgment just wipe out everything. All of that's very, very, very supporting. Now, it's so important to talk about the ways in which the devil may want to bring them in to it. And I've already mentioned slumber parties. That's so important. Because, and don't assume that just because you want your children to be in church group slumber parties, it's okay. You don't know what's going on in some families 
what they've been exposed to. And so uh, you must warn them. You must be very aggressive to do that. And of course, music. I, I just am so concerned about the rock music scene. I believe it's one of the greatest strongholds Satan has in our culture. And uh, it's poisoning. It's poisoning our children because it has such appeal and it's so addictive. Bill Gothard's book, even though you may not um, find yourself in total agreement with everything, it, it is, a, especially as it relates to contemporary Christian music. But um, you really ought to hear what he has to say and what the leading psychiatrist that he worked with in writing that has to say. School activities and reading that introduce new age and meditation <coughs> meditation spirit guides. My grandson, who's now 15, was in the talented and gifted group in junior high. And this is one of the tragedies. His teacher was supposed to be a Christian. And I believe she is a Christian. I know who she is. But uh, in her ignorance, she was following the curriculum. She had all these talented and gifted kids lying down on the floor. Then she led them through in a, an imagination journey. And part of it was that now you may see your higher self coming and he'll help you. You welcome him. I said to Sean, what did you do? He said, I memorized my Awana verses. <laughs> <laughs> but you see, there hadn't been teaching and warning. That's the kind of culture we're living in. Reading of horoscopes and other spiritistic books. There's just so much of that flooding. The occult section is usually the largest section in most bookstores, secular bookstores. You can check it out of the library. You'll be amazed at some of the books available to our children in the library. How to put hexes on people. How to... Uh, have seances and what have you. Of course, there's movies and videos and cartoons. Really need to prepare our children. Games like the Ouija board, and I believe we ought to especially mention that one to our children because it is so broadly used and it's thought of as just a game by many, many people, but it's totally spiritistic as is Dungeons and Dragons. They can easily be fascinated by ESP, mind control, meditation techniques, and uh, fortune tellers and cults and Satanist groups. You see, we've got to communicate with our kids. Not in a fear-producing way, but in a very loving and uh, communicating way. So they're going to be equipped to deal with these things. Now you'll notice B has to do with 
the dedication of our, your home to the Lord and the eviction of any wicked spirits. I get calls all the time from people who share with me about visits of spirits to their children while they're sleeping. Now, we don't know that that's always caused by spirit assignment to that house. Could very well be related to spiritistic activity in the generational line or even in the parents' lives. But uh, it's so important to dedicate your home to the Lord. And at the um, desire of um, some Christian friends, I finally put down a dedication procedure. And on page 81, you have that. <coughs> I would urge you to do this with your house. And bring your children in on it. It's a simple procedure, but uh, I believe so important. I think it's self-explanatory, so you don't have to uh, have me make a lot of comment on it. But the basic thing that you need to, it'll help you. You have to come to some understanding of what your purpose is for your house, which is your home. And if you've never put that down in black and white, you ought to do it. Prayerfully, asking the Lord, help me to come up with a biblical purpose for our home. Now you may start out with a lot of sub-purposes that sort of relate to the major purpose which God finally gives you. But um, help your children to understand what you're doing. What do you want God to make your house? What kind of a place do you want it to be? And then once you've done that, it's good to think about every room. The bedrooms, for example. What's the purpose of the bedroom? Now, there's some things that you would pray about husband-wife bedroom that perhaps you wouldn't pray in front of your children, where it's to be a place of intimacy and, and uh, sexual fulfillment. God's interested in that. Every husband and wife needs to use spiritual warfare in your sexual intimacy. There isn't any area of your lives that Satan wants more to violate than that. And uh, if you begin to pray about it together, pray for God's making your sexual relationship a beautiful expression of the intimacy between Christ and the church. It'll become a praise of the Lord experience. Where in the height of that intimacy, you may find yourself saying, Praise the Lord. It ought to be a worship experience. Nobody ought to have a sex life like Christians. It's the greatest. Because God's in it. But you want to make sure that there's no ability of the enemy to interfere. And so that's, I don't know how I got off on that so far. But it's, 
good to stress it, but go through every room. Think about the major purpose there. And then have a time when you dedicate your house to the Lord. Have your children participate with you. And then uh, go through each room and go through the dedication. There's a prayer for that on page 82. So I hope you'll use this and uh, copy it, make it available to people that you minister to. can make a tremendous difference in what happens in your home. My wife and I have no greater delight than having folk come into our home. And uh, we hear this all the time. I just love to be in your home. There's peace here. Now see, God is doing what we've asked him to do. And uh, that's what your home ought to be. What God wants it to be, desires it to be. Now you'll notice under C, teach your children how to recognize the work of their flesh the world, and Satan's temptations. Oh, I, I just think this is so important. And uh, I did teach on this in the missions section at this conference in a brief way, but um, we have some tapes on this video, and um, they're available down at the tape table. But our children need to know how to deal with their flesh especially. Really important. Also how to resist Satan. Because if the enemy is going to try to get at anyone, he's going to try to get at your children. Your wife or your children, men. He may know that you're kind of... a well covered because you of your own walk with God. But uh, he hasn't changed his tactics. When he wanted to get at Adam, he hit Eve. And so you need to watch over your wife and watch over your children with great protective care. And part of that is teaching them how to deal with their flesh. I just love to sit down with my grandkids I wish I'd had some of the understanding the Lord's given me since my children have taught them as adults or at least in their late teens. But, oh, I wish I could have taught them back there when they were seven, eight years of age. How to deal with their flesh. How to overcome the fleshly temptations of life. And they can learn it and practice it. We've seen it demonstrated in Many children's lives. Roman numeral two. Parents must be free of all levels of demonization in their own personal lives. You know, Neil Anderson's steps to freedom are just a gift to the church. I believe for such a time as this, the Lord's brought them and now God's using him to Give us similar steps for the church. 
And I believe it has a lot to do with revival. I've told him a number of times, I believe the greatest use for his um, steps to freedom will be when revival comes. So we're looking forward to that. You cannot be in a culture like we're in without uh, uh, terrible demonization taking place. You cannot be a part of a culture where there's so much open worship of the devil, sexual licentiousness, and uh, the awful wickedness that's going on. But what demonization is just flooding into our culture. Multitudes are coming under it. And the next few years are going to be something. But I still believe the Lord's bringing revival. And once people come to the Lord and are wonderfully saved, they need to have something to help them get free. Legally, they are free. But experientially, there needs to be the renouncing of the ways in which they gave ground. So it's very important to go through the steps to freedom. If you haven't been through them, do it. You may not think you have any demonic activity in your life. Do it anyway. It's reviving, renewing. Point number three. Employ the resources of sentry duty prayer with faithful consistency and protective watchfulness. We are like sentries on duty. I loved what Horst Gerlach shared with me yesterday. Um, he's a man of unusual spiritual warfare experience. You have to understand something of his background to perhaps appreciate that in its full dimension. His father was a SS trooper. He was an open Satanist. Most of Hitler's SS troopers were. They depended upon demons for their strength. So Horst, um, not only did he grow up in Hitler's Germany, which was entirely satanic, so the whole culture became very taken over by uh, wicked powers, but in his own personal parental lineage. And he has quite a story of how God first brought him to Christ and then freed him from that awful darkness. He gave it in a brief testimony the last time he was here, two years ago, but uh, it needs to be written. I hope Moody Press will write it up. Uh, he's going to Chicago and meet with some of their people next week. Fascinating story. Uh, he and his son, by the way, his son, Thomas, um, almost died. I'll share this with you. That um, he was a seminary student. He had been very rebellious, but God heard the watchful prayer of his parents and rescued him from that and he went to seminary while he was at seminary he was diagnosed with a brain tumor inoperable and he was 
having all kinds of manifestations of that, headaches and loss of control of his body. And they said it was inoperable. There was nothing could be done. But they kept praying. And, of course, renouncing the satanic effort to destroy him. And um, finally, there was a specialist, a very wonderful brain surgeon there in Germany, that um, his doctors thought might be able to operate on the tumor, even though it was in one of the most delicate parts of the brain. And so uh, he went to that doctor. They did all the x-rays. The doctor called them in for the report, and he said, you don't have a tumor. But he says, you do have a hole in your brain. And the way he described it was that in his brain, where the tumor had been, there was just a hole. That God somehow, in the wonders of his surgery, just dissolved the tumor and took it away. And he said, the brain will go back to its normal condition. He said, you're okay. He said, I can't explain what happened to you, but you don't have any tumor. Now he's, of course, a very healthy young man. But uh, he'd be dead if he didn't have parents who knew how to pray. Protection over him. I know that my children would be dead, my grandchildren, if um, I were not watching over them. I started to tell you about Orst. He went out walking and he was praying yesterday. And he said, oh, Lord, protect this convention center and the people here. He said, it's just like the Lord said to him, just showed him. He said, it's like there was a big dome over the convention center of holy angels. <laughs> I said, you don't know how confirming that is to me. That's exactly what we prayed. <laughs> and uh, that's what's happening. We have no idea the tremendous authority we have when we reach out to use all that we have in Christ and claim his protection. And that is a very military term in verse 18 of Ephesians 6. In the King James, it's watching thereunto. It means you're a sentry on duty, watching over your children. Wouldn't you know he came in just at the best point here? Jim, good to see you. We'll turn it over to you in just a few minutes. Be like a sentry on duty over your children. Watch over them. Develop a generational watchfulness against transfer from bloodline family members that are giving much ground to Satan by their sinful conduct and practices. This is very, very important. Um, one of, I don't know if she's in this session or not. I haven't spotted her yet. Sue, are you here? Don't see her. But... Uh, um, her mother has been into sorcery and witchcraft. And uh, the consequence of that was uh, being passed on to their children. And uh, 
That's very difficult to deal with. Because you've got an open line there, see, generational claim. And uh, it's just a daily thing. I said to these dear people one day, you know, I'd, I'd just love to talk to your mother. Next time she comes to visit, will you try to set up an appointment with me? <laughs> so we had that in our home. And uh, I read her from Deuteronomy. And I said, you may not understand. I said, you have every right to dabble in this wickedness. And I called it that. If you want to, nobody can stop you because you're an adult. But I want you to know you're hurting your grandchildren. And it really sobered her. She got a little angry. But uh, there was a change of behavior after that. Getting rid of some of the occult things she was into. But there is a way to deal with that. If you picked up a copy of my uh, adaptation of Neil's Steps to Freedom, the very last point has a way to deal with that. And I hope you would uh, be sure to have that. So be pray, prepared to use your authority to resist and stop the demonic attempts to rule in the life of your child. And I believe what's under point three there, on, under B on page 79, you really need to put in the hands of parents there's all kinds of demonization of children being manifest today for a number of reasons. And you will never get over that by discipline. You must handle it spiritually. And this is simply a suggestion of a way to do it. Jim, I've used up my time. Come on. Read these carefully. Use them. Feel free to reproduce them. We were going to switch this, and Mark was going to do more of the steps, and I was going to do more of the, the story stuff. And um, But Ruth Bellcamp's giving her testimony next door, and I'm sorry I had to leave to come over here. She is probably one of the most effective missionaries uh, uh, that's using warfare today that I know of. It's just unbelievable. I want to read the, I have a special prayer partner. My prayer partner is how old? 18 now? My prayer partner is 18 years old. And um, he prays, I call, I try to call every Tuesday. I want to read his testimony. This, uh, he, this is the first long thing he ever typed. I can't find Luke. He's my special friend. He lives in my room. He's like an angel. He says that God is not love. He tells me bad things. He loves me when I'm bad. He tells me to do bad things. These are shocking words typed by my 16-year-old autistic son, Daniel. Dr. Copley is sitting in the front row. This is his 16-year-old son who has autism, who for 14 years, never was it 14 years, never spoke a word. When um, I drove up to meet Daniel after he was my prayer partner for about a year, Ken was trying to prepare me for Daniel. 
He says, Jim, you don't realize how, what was your words? How, uh, I'm trying to think of the word, uh, handicapped my son really is. Daniel's greatest fear is when I walked in and saw him, I would reject him. Because Daniel cannot control his body. His hands go, and he makes noises. And uh, he's crying. <laughs> I could cry. Anyway, um, we drove up. I was two or three hours late getting into the airport, and then we had to drive. Daniel was absolutely at the end of his rope because he kept waiting and waiting for me to come. And I thought, what am I going to do? How am I going to respond to my special prayer partner that I've never seen? And when Ken said, my son's bad, I knew he was trying to prepare me. When we walked up on the porch, I could hear Daniel making his, and God just gave me this, oh, I hear my special friend. Walked in, Daniel grabbed me, and he hugged me, and he kissed me, and I want to read the rest of the story, because Daniel had a spirit guide. Dr. Copley, in his church, about a month before I got this, told all his members to destroy any materials they had of me, because the demonic world was not real. And then he called and asked my forgiveness on the phone. <laughs> when his son told him, Something came in his room at four years of age and had never left and was running his life. Daniel was born in the June of 1975 and as proud parents, we brought him home. Oh, wait a minute. That's, that's your testimony. I want to read Daniel's. Here's Daniel's own story. I don't want to read Ken's story. Uh, Daniel uses what they do is I call and talk to Mrs. Copley and then Daniel talks to me by pointing the alphabet on a, he has a, a, a board um, that his grandfather made with the alphabet on it, like a typewriter. And then Daniel points and talks. And we've had a number of autistic kids come to our office for help, and all of them had spirit guides. Not one of them did not have a spirit guide that came with it, but they couldn't talk to their folks. The folks didn't know it was there. Okay, let me read Daniel's testimony. I'm sorry, I usually put Daniel's in the front, and I had Ken's in the front. Ken's is good, too. If you get my prayer letter, you've already got this. Luke came when I was four years old. The first time I saw Luke was in Mandela, Minnesota. I was in my room. He came and told me his name. He told me that he would be my friend. I liked him because he liked me. What followed was possible because I cannot communicate. Luke looked like an angel. He looked like a man. He looked beautiful. He was nice to me. He talked to me. He talked out loud. I decided to talk to him in my mind. I talked to him all the time. And he could understand what I was thinking. I've learned a lot about the demonic world from Daniel now that Daniel's totally free. He told me that he scared the other children. And I liked that because I did not like my sister then. Sisters then, but I like them now. He stayed in my room except when he was bothering the girls. Now, let me go in and out with this story. At four years of age, Daniel's behavior began to change drastically. He began to break windows out of the house. 
He began to smear feces on the wall. He began to become violent towards his sisters, and they couldn't figure out what was going on. But Luke said, if you don't do what I tell you, I will leave. And Luke was the only person he could talk to. And so he began to do this behavior because Luke would leave if he did not do this. They put him in a special home where autistic kids can stay because it was just... How many kids do you have can six? Sorry, seven. He's got seven. Six be, I mean, six besides Daniel, right? And, you know, you have one that's terrorizing the whole family. You just, you just can't. And, and, you're, and you're in ministry. It just is wiping you out. So they put Daniel in a special home. And then someone said to them, do you believe that children are the heritage of the Lord? Do you believe that God made a mistake when he gave you Daniel? Why did you give him away? And so they went and got Daniel and brought him back. But he was still violent. After I helped Ken work with Daniel and, and set Daniel free, and then we worked with Daniel over a period of time, Ken asked Daniel this question, and this will blow you away. Uh, did other kids in that home for autistic children, did they have spirits? And Daniel said, yes, most of them. And what Daniel would do, how these kids talk, is Daniel with his mind would see that angel, the demon, associated with another child, and he would in his mind talk to that demon. The demon would talk out loud to that autistic child. That autistic child would talk back to the demon with his mind and then talk out loud to Daniel. And these kids were communicating with each other through these spirits with their mind and the demon speaking back. I know this is blowing you away, but let me tell you, this is, I'm talking about reality here. Now, Daniel said this, I told Luke I was lonely. He said he'd be my friend. He told me to hit the girls, to break things. I did it because I wanted him to stay. I liked Luke because he was always nice to me. I know that he really did not love me. He told me that God did not love me. He told me my parents did not love me. Now, how would you like something like that talking to your kids? And this is not unique. I see lots and lots of children. And I deal with lots of children over the telephone, and this is common, that these children are either getting intruding voices or things are coming and telling them this. We're talking about little children. In fact, Susan, right here, her two-and-a-half-year-old son said, I'm going to stab you with a butcher knife. Two-and-a-half. With the intruding voices. And this little two-and-a-half-year-old said to Susan, Take me to Mr. Logan, who's having intruding thoughts. He didn't know where they were coming from. Well, you say, how could that happen to Susan? Susan's daughter tried to commit suicide at four years of age. She tied a rope around her neck, and if it had been shorter, she'd have been dead. She'd have hung herself. What they didn't realize is that her grandfather is a Satanist and had ritually abused this four-year-old. And then the two-and-a-half-year-old was being attacked with voices uh, being sent from the grandfather and the coven and so on. And you just have to be in our office. Well, I don't know how a girl stand it. I don't know how a girl stand taking the phone calls. They are so tragic and so sad. Okay. 
I like Luke because he's always nice to me. I know he really did not love me. He told me that God did not love me. He told me my parents did not love me. He told me he was the only one that loved me. I found out that he was lying to me. I was not saved when Luke came. I became a Christian when I was at, uh, I was back home from Bar Nun Ranch. Luke left for a while after I became a Christian, but then he came back when I got lonely. Luke did not like my being saved. Luke did not want me to communicate because he knew that I had found God. He knew I would tell others Luke was there. I would tell Luke to leave, but he would come back. He would come back because I would get lonely, and I would ask him to come back because he could talk to Luke. The only way Daniel can, can communicate with the family is someone's got to sit with him while he points out the stuff. And I told Daniel on the phone, I said, Daniel, now that you can communicate, you're going to be more lonely than you were before. And he said, yes, I mean, on the board, yes, I am more lonely because I want to talk and someone's got it. You can't sit. If you've got six, seven children, can you sit with one all day if they want to say something? And Luke took advantage of that. He was, I would tell Luke to come back. He would come back because I got lonely. He stayed away because my dad told him to leave. Dad is my authority. He had to obey my dad. The moment I lost Luke is when dad told him to leave. I lost him forever. I'm glad. I feel clean. I feel good. I feel like God is all that I need. Luke is gone forever, and I'm clean forever. I wish that was true. It was true at that time. Daniel went through some real struggles after this, but he prays every week, every day for the people going through counseling. I mean, Daniel is my faithful intercessor. That's his ministry to God. He can't talk to you and I, but he can commune with God for my counselees. And if I get stuck during the week on a hard, something hard, I call and tell him, tell Daniel, pray extra hard about this. And boy, Daniel does. And it gives him meaning and purpose and a ministry. Now, I went and spoke in Dr. Copley's church. And I was speaking one night, and a counselor from Minneapolis came and sat in the back of the church. He knows nothing about Daniel, knows nothing about Luke, knew nothing about any of this. He came up to me after the service and he said, Jim, tonight an evil spirit came into this church. And I said, so? <laughs> he said, I don't mean like that. He said, an evil presence came into the back of this church. I said, really? He said, yes. And I said, what time? He said, it was 7.30. I looked at my watch. Well, Daniel was sitting behind him and I said, oh, thank you. The next day, I was over at their house, and I said, Daniel, did anything happen last night at church unusual? He said, yes. Luke came in. I said, what time, Daniel? 7.30. I didn't sense it. I didn't know. The last day we were there, I said, clear the day, because Daniel, I'm not going to counsel anybody afternoon. We're going to spend the whole afternoon with Daniel. So they sent the children upstairs. And it would just be Daniel and I and Mr. and Mrs. Copley, or Dr. Copley and his wife. We sat for lunch, and Daniel started, there was something wrong. Mrs. Copley had been crying. When we got there, she said, Jim, you're going to think I cry all the time. I don't. But she said, this has been just a terrible week. She says, this has been a terrible morning for Daniel, because I was speaking Wednesday night and then flying out Thursday morning back to the office here. As... Um, we ate lunch, we were sitting on the couch, she was facilitating with Daniel, and we knew something was wrong. 
And all of a sudden we said, what's wrong? And Daniel began to go faster than, I've never seen a hand go so fast. And he was spelling out, he's mine, he's mine, he's mine, he's mine. And we all three said, that's a lie. And we said, Luke's here, isn't he? And he said, yes. Where is he? He's sitting in Mr. Logan next on the couch. And do you know what Luke told Daniel? Mr. Logan's your friend, huh? Well, he's leaving. I won't leave you. Let me come back. You can always talk to me. And let me tell you, Daniel's had some real battles, but Daniel is totally, completely free of Luke. Now, I know that that's a very drastic story, but I can't tell you the children that have spirit guides. The little missionary child, seven-year-old missionary child that they were given Ritalin to. You know the song, don't you? Every little child needs Ritalin, Ritalin, every little, right? You know, they had this kid on Ritalin. And so I asked them this question. This is the question. Some of you heard it the other day. We ask children this question all the time. We have people ask their children over this over the phone. Do you ever see things no one else sees? Do you ever hear things no one else hears? And people are shocked by the answers. We're talking about children that something is radically wrong. And little children. And what is going on here? And I asked this missionary boy from Brazil, do you ever hear things no one else hears? Do you ever see things no one else sees? He said, yes. And I said, what do you see? And he said, my friend, he's right here on the couch. He had a spirit guide. This was with him all the time. If you watch that video downstairs on the Indians, one of the fellows there had these little spirits with him all the time. And he thought everybody had them. And when he would do his sun dances and pull the, spear, uh, pull the arrows out of his chest, he has round, showed me his chest where he has the wrong scars. You know, the, it's supposed to be the revival of Indian, Indian culture. It's a revival of Indian demonism. And uh, these, little, these little Indian children would comfort him as the blood would run down his chest. And he thought everybody had them. Because if you, all you've ever done is seen one your whole life, you don't know anyone else doesn't have them, right? If you, have, if you hear voices or having intuiting thoughts all of your life, you think that's normal. You don't know that that's not normal, but it's normal for you. And so that I remember uh, a lawyer's wife called and their, their child was, the behavior was, she says, my, the behavior of this child is so strange. And she was sharing, and she said, I don't know what's wrong. I said, why don't you ask your child, he's uh, three and a half, why don't you ask him at the right time, does he ever hear anything no one else hears or see anything no one else sees? I said, you'll know when the right time is. It's got to be an intimate time where the child can just answer that question. And she was giving him a bath, and she said, do you ever see anything no one else sees? He said, no, mama. Did you ever hear things that no one else hears? Yes, Mama. What do you hear? So the voices tell me to jump off the balcony down to the cement. And these voices were telling him to destroy his life in all different ways. And she's crying on the telephone. She said, Jim, I didn't believe that anything like I, I questioned that this could happen to our child. My husband is a lawyer. We're a Christian family. We homeschool our children. You know, they're not in public schools. We don't even have a television. You know, and yet this is ancestral thing. And they, it was so, once they knew, they prayed against it, and Mark's got the things made. It stopped. But if you don't know what's going on, you can't correct it. And children hear this and hear this, and we get calls on children. I don't know how many. I, I, I said we get 5,000 callbacks in our office a year. 
And I call from 5 o'clock in the morning to 8 o'clock. I start in New York or in Europe, and I call across to 8 o'clock. But in Alaska, I get them up pretty early, or in Hawaii. But I have to start counseling at 8. So every morning I do, and, I try, and I've been keeping a record of these calls. You know, how many are little children? How many are teenagers? How many have things in their house that go bump in the night that people are afraid and are seeing? It's amazing. And I'm getting calls from credible people that are calling, not off-the-wall street people. We're not talking about it. We're talking about credible people, things that are happening to them. And so children are tremendously under attack. i got some time here. You know, Jesus said to let the little children come unto him and forbid them not. He said anyone who would touch a child, and we're getting this, people touching children in wrong ways, and children that are tremendously damaged, and teenagers who are damaged sitting in my office because of sexual abuse, in the family. I had a little 11-year-old sitting in my office crying just a couple of weeks ago saying, Mr. Logan, all I think about is sexual evil things. Please help me. He says, I just have dirty thoughts all the time. And all I could do is remember what that girl made him do. And it was in his mind, and it was like when he was four and five. And he says, it's in my mind continually. Please help me. I want to be a godly young man. And I can't be godly thinking these vile thoughts that I have. Little, little child, you have vile thoughts like that. It's, and Jesus said, woe be to the person that would do that. When people call and we try to handle the situation over the phone, if the child is around, let's say, between six and eight, we usually encourage the parents to pray over the child when the child is sleeping. It is less intrusive and it's less frightening yeah, just pray over that child when they're sleeping. Sometimes nothing happens. Sometimes there's actual visual things that took place. And I shared a story a couple years ago about a missionary that was here and his three children when he prayed over them. What happened? He's not here this year. He was going to be here this year. We had a, a counselor that called whose little boy wanted to be a girl. I've got another one right now. I mean, it's not just a passing thing. We're talking about preoccupation that God created him the wrong sex. And we're talking about a five-year-old. And not just mad or angry. I mean, the parents are really... And this is a counselor that called me on the phone, and he's crying. He said, Jim, my son, it's terrible what is going on. So the first thing I ask, and I always hope it's the dad that calls, but so often it's the mom. It was a dad that called, and I asked the dad. I always ask dads this question. How are you doing in your moral life? Because the scripture says that Satan binds a strong man, and then he spoils his house. And why pray over a child if the opening is coming through dad? And so the, this also was one of my prayer letters, the testimony of this counselor. He's, and he said, Jim, I've had a real immoral past. I've given a lot of ground to the enemy. This is my fifth boy. I've given a lot of ground to the enemy. And he said, when you said that, the Spirit of God just said, you need to take back the ground you've given to the enemy in moral areas in your life. So this fellow fasted and prayed on a Saturday, and ask God to reveal to him any ground that he'd ever given to the enemy, that the enemy was using to bring destructive attacks upon his son. And he said, I prayed for hours on my knees. 
And then he said, Lord, have I given ground any of the areas? He had some resentments in his life and some of the other things that scripture says the enemy take advantage of. He got his life clean before God. And that night, they went into the bedroom over the five-year-old son. And he shut his eyes. And he prayed. Now, he's a counselor in the public school system. His wife was watching. He didn't see this. And as he was praying against the enemy involvement, like a prayer Mark has or different prayers that people have, it's not the prayer so much. They just guide you in what you should say specifically. That little boy began to quiver and shake. Now, he never saw it, but his wife saw the boy quivering as he was praying. And when he commanded anything that was not of God to leave that room and to leave that boy, immediately he stopped shaking. And the room was filled with a bright light. He never saw it. And his wife said, did you see that? I used to see what? You know, he was praying. He says, the light. And he's, you know, yeah, we're not that kind of Christian. <laughs> we're not that brand. You know, we're the conservative ones over here. We don't see things like that. And um, <clears throat> he, said, he said, are you sure? And two of their kids came down the hall and said, what was that bright light that woke us up? And that little boy, and that was two years ago, that little boy has never wanted to be a girl since. This missionary that prayed over his son, and he was thrown back and forth. The one the missionary was here two years ago, would like to be here now. His boy was thrown back and forth in the bed. He and his wife were shocked. They thought possibly there could be some demonic involvement in the family because they had been in such bondage. And they wanted to pray over their kids at the mission when I was still there. The boy was thrown back and forth, almost on the floor. They commanded things to leave, and it left. The boy never woke up. The next boy, next day, this five-year-old got up and said, Daddy, guess what? And he said, what, honey? He said, I don't hear those voices anymore. And they never knew that he was hearing voices. But I could go on and on and on because we deal so much with children. But So one of the major things you want to look at when children are in trouble, how is dad doing spiritually? Is he opening the door? He is to be the spiritual protector of the home. That's why God gave children dads. The second thing is, and this is not as often, and you find it more in, in other cultures, but it can be in our culture also, is there some type of curse that's on this family that is transferred down? I was in Guatemala with the Wycliffe Bible translators just a year ago in November, and they brought a Mayan Indian boy who all of a sudden started having seizures, just falling down having seizures. Like one of the missionaries here said, uh, oh, it was Otto Koning said, uh, we, we didn't have demonic problems on the field, just a lot of people had seizures. But <laughs> 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 well, this boy out of the blue had seizures, and there, we have this too. Children have seizures. So there's no brain waves, because we work with medical doctors and all of that, because there is normal things, and the medicine doesn't help. And they're still falling down. They're still having these seizures. And they, the kids get set free and the seizures stop. But anyway, um, this boy was falling down. And so it, we had to work through, I had to work through Wycliffe Bible Translator to talk to the dad who was dealing with the son. The dad was, uh, I think this dad was a pastor, I'm not sure, uh, uh, from a Mayan village and brought the boy in. And what had happened in their situation was that there were three brothers that lived on this little farm. And you have to understand Mayan culture when you talk about a farm. Don't think of Iowa. And um, because it wasn't that, so one of them worked in, in Guatemala City, but the other two stayed there. And the single brother was cursed. It was this boy's uncle. 
and they had left a tray of entrails and all that in front of the gate and put a curse on him. And he started falling down and doing all this stuff. Well, they called the church in, and the church came and prayed over this brother and, in the, and used Galatians, in the name of Christ, we cancel all curses and so on, upon this the older brother. I mean, the, he was an uncle. I mean, he was in his 30s. And he was totally, completely set free. But they never sent him away. And guess who started falling down? The little nephew, 10 or 11 year old. And we broke the curse and prayed against that and broke that over that boy. Some families have been cursed. Now, I, I didn't believe in curses. But I believed in blessings. Well, you know, I'm conservative. So I went to Africa, and all of a sudden, all, I'm dealing with everybody that's been cursed. So I, I, I it's you know, these new computer Bible studies. Aren't they neat? You put curse, just write curse and push a button. You don't want to do it if you don't want to know. And it starts in Genesis through Revelation and talks about curses. See, and it also, it's curses and blessing in the same verse. But I'm Baptist. I only saw blessings. <laughs> I say, I want to claim the blessings. But I don't want to deal with this aspect because it doesn't fit my, my worldview. I'm going, wait a minute. I'm not doing a favor to people from animistic beliefs if I understand that God also talks about the other side. If blessings have far-reaching benefits, then curses have far-reaching consequences or neither work. You know what I'm saying? You can't have one without the other. If it's biblical, both are biblical, or blessings and curses are not biblical at all. And, you know, why are we supposed to bless them that curse you? Well, that's gospels. Let's go into the epistles. <laughs> You'll find it there, too. And in the epistles, it says Jesus died for our curses in Galatians 5. So, but that's another one. I'm talking about if children have problems, you've got to run through. What's going on here? Is it something through the dad? Is there something in this family? Has this family been put under some type of a judgment by, by some family member, a grandparent, or something like that? You know, is there the, and Mark was talking about the ancestral thing, passing on down in the family. Is there something like that that's coming into this family? It's amazing how many guys come to see me and they tell me that they have bad genes. And I ask them if they shop at Kmart. <laughs> God calls it sin, not bad genes. And if it's bad genes, you're in trouble. If it's sin, there's hope. And so is there that kind of thing? When we have children, right now, a missionary asked me, what do I do? No, it wasn't a missionary. It was a Christian leader. What do I do about a very young grandchild that's all caught up with their sex organs? How would you like to get phone calls of three- and four-year-olds that are continually masturbating? Is that normal for a three- or four-year-old? To discover themselves is one thing, but to be continually masturbating. There's something going on there that's not right. I, we get awful stuff, I'll tell you. I never realized how bad things were until you get into this kind of a ministry and people start calling. It's sad. The enemy is doing a number on families. And these are, are Christian families that are under attack. And many of them don't know what to do. And it just keeps going on and on and on. The other is, for children when they get older, is personal sin. See, have they given ground themselves, an older child, 
It's now starting to... See, you don't have to worry about an ancestral problem with a 12-year-old. Because the 12-year-old, that's now his problem. Because the enemies are spirits of influence, and if he's allowing that ancestral influence, and he is choosing to do this, it's now becoming a greater issue. It's an issue of his involvement, not just someone in the family, and he's being influenced there. And then the other thing we get with children a lot is houses. Creepy things happening in houses. We probably get three or four phone, I get three or four phone calls a week about things in houses. Kids are seeing things in their bedroom. In fact, Ken's daughters, remember Daniel said that, that Luke would bother the girls? Well, Ken being a graduate of Bob Jones, they don't believe in this. Not even in the PhD program, they don't believe in this. And so his daughters come to him as little girls and said, Dad, there's something in the room. Was it orange eyes or green eyes? What did they see? They saw burning eyes, and he said, you guys have a vivid imagination. And here he finds out years later, his son was telling him what it was. It was Luke trying to scare these girls. Now, can I tell him about your son? Just before, I mean, here Ken's got a real course in demonology. I mean, I can't tell you this stuff has happened. He's had stranger things happen in his house as ever happened in mine. But just before he came to be a prayer partner with me, his son, five-year-old, five? His five-year-old son came downstairs and said, Daddy, there's two black things at the end of my bed with wings. This is at night. And so Ken went upstairs to pray, and the door was shut. When he walked up to the door, there were voices coming, talking out of the bedroom. When he opened it up, there was nobody in there. And he prayed against that, and it left. Twice, Ken's typewriter has typed message to him with no one there. He watched it go, just typing into memory. Now, you know how curiosity got Eve? You better got Logan. I would just want to know what they, Ken pushed erase. <laughs> yeah. I would, what are they telling me? I, I just... Well, let me just share one thing with you and then I'll go. It's time for me to go. I shared this yesterday, but uh, every year I have an opportunity to do a, a big workshop at the University of Tennessee, and I really love it. We have about 15,000 uh, that attend that workshop, uh, that, that seminar for a week. And uh, I had shared the year before, this has happened last year, they told me, I shared this year before, and there was a medical doctor and his wife, and I shared this thing about, you know, if your children, you know, ask your children, do you ever see anything no one else sees or hear things no one else hears? And some of you heard this yesterday. And um, so... Uh, she told her husband, she said, oh, man, we live in this old, creepy house. Said, any kids are seeing things or hearing things. I know our kids are hearing and seeing this stuff. So they went home from the seminar, and, and they asked the kids, and then they reported this last year after that seminar was over with. They came up and said, we want to tell you about our experience with going home and following through on this. So they have, like, five kids, and they took the oldest one, like, eight, seven, and six, something like that, and they said, they were boys, and they said, do you kids ever see anything no one else sees? No. Do you ever hear anything no one else hears? They said, yes. I go, oh, no. So, where do you hear this stuff? They said, we hear it in the backyard. Come out, and you'll hear it. And the mom and dad went out, and as soon as I got out in the backyard, they heard it. There was a Ford dealership at the end of the block, and this is what they heard. Larry, Larry, lot one. 